0: Thanks for tuning in today. Fun fact, if you listen to these as they come out, my book just released on Amazon Kindle. It's available now for free. Visit BehindThePinkRibbon.com backslash Kindle to get your copy today. Again, that's BehindThePinkRibbon.com backslash Kindle. On today's episode, I was able to chat with my friend and previous Dragon Boat teammate, Lynn Wigzenick. She shared how her experience with breast cancer screenings, diagnosis, and treatments were different 22 years ago compared to today. Lynn talked about learning to let go of her independence to allow people to help her. Her story is sure to provide hope and inspiration. Let's take a listen. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12 year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. Hi Lynn, welcome to the show. Hi. I'm, uh, first of all, grateful that you're here. I appreciate you coming on and being a part of this. Um so I just want to share with the listeners that we know each other from uh, Pink Steel Dragon Boat Team. We were uh, teammates. <laughs> and, A long time uh, ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been, uh, oh, four years since I've been in Pittsburgh. Um, but I started in, with the team in 2008, so uh, long time together Is on the boat. When
1: you were, that's when you were motorcycling, right? Or
0: 2009, okay. 2008 <laughs> or nine. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what I was doing then? <laughs> Um, so we're going to chat about your breast cancer story. Um, so the first place that I'd like to start is, um, how many years of a survivor are you? Uh, 22 years. 22 years. Wow. Uh, How old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 44 years old. 44. So you were pretty young.
1: Um, and the funny part was I was supposed to go away for the weekend to Las Vegas and the trip got canceled. So I thought, oh, this is a good enough time to get my mammogram done. Yeah. So I went and got my mammogram done. On they got you in Wednesday. that fast? <laughs> yeah. I, I, this is 22 years ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, okay. And it, well. and
1: it wasn't a diagnostic. so. Okay. And they called me back on Wednesday and said, we see something. We need you to come back. So Friday, I went back in for an additional mammogram and um, a biopsy. And at the time, had to get... I had to get permission for everything from my insurance company and the office actually had a phone set up where their, their patients could call their primary physician for their approval for their authorization. And the following Wednesday after that, I got a call that yes, it was stage one breast
0: cancer. So they called you on the phone. They didn't have you come into the office.
1: Absolutely not.
0: So this isn't something new. So I had the same experience and it was for me pretty traumatizing. Um, so how did you respond to getting a phone call? Did you anticipate a phone call? Did you hope to go into I the office?
1: actually was sitting with one of my patients, um, at her home in North for sales and I'm not far from here. And, um, my phone rang and it was my doctor and, um, my patient held my hand while I listened to the doctor.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And I knew, I, I knew when they showed me. Uh, because it wasn't a lump, it was almost, I call it, it looked almost like um, like an octopus. Or it had a central body, and there were, like, arms coming out oh. of it. So, yeah, I, I, I knew. Right. And um, I just plowed forward. Um, There wasn't, I, I didn't even have a second thought. It was like, we're getting this done, and I'm moving on.
0: Right. So, I mean... It sounds like hopefully you had yes. a good enough relationship with this client that you were working with. Um, yes. You know, because yes. I could imagine that, you know, if maybe this were a new patient, um, yes. or a new client, that that would probably be, you know, very awkward and um, yeah. and difficult. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that you were with somebody that obviously, um, you know, you had a relationship with and was kind um, yeah. to, to do that, um, to be there for you. So, yeah, it's... It always kind of breaks my heart when I hear about people getting phone calls with that kind of news. Um, I think it's one way or the other. It, You know, I don't know. Some people like it. Some people don't like it. So. Yeah. Um, so is there a, do you have a family history? I mean, you. so you didn't have a lump. You just kind of went in for your mm-hmm. your regular exam, I, kind of led to right. all this stuff. Um, so is I never there a family I never
1: would have, no. Um, I never would have felt it. So. But um, my great aunt, okay, my mother's aunt, found a lump in the early 1940s. She was very active. She was running. She went to the doctor. Did she have breast cancer? We have no idea. They removed her breasts and two months later removed her uterus. And she lived in her 90s. So um, did she have breast cancer? I have no
0: idea. Okay, but there is potentially. There's a possibility. Right. Slight possibility. Okay. You know? So you said you wouldn't be able to fill your lump. Um so, right. and is that because what why is that? Because you it was emphasize. flat. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, it actually had no it, it had no substance, I guess. It wasn't round and hard and, or long or, you know, um however some of the shapes of the some of the lumps can be.
0: Right. Okay. So then was it Kind of scattered throughout the entire breast? Was it kind of uh, isolated? To it was to it air? was
1: isolated though. Um, after my initial surgery, I had to go back for clear margins uh, uh, a week later.
0: Okay. So, did they at that point in time? I mean, this is 22 years ago. So, with I hear differing things from different people. So, did they look at you to have testing done for genetic mutation at any point in Absolutely. time? Absolutely.
1: Not
0: once. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Some people. I don't even
1: think that wasn't even, that wasn't even, I mean, it never even came up.
0: Okay. Yeah. And for some people, what I hear is like, they have a a really long history of cancer in their family and they can't get approved from their insurance companies. And then I have other people who are like, oh, you know, I had this, you know, whatever aunt or uncle or grandma or whatever. And it might be one incident and they're being referred for genetic testing so it's very confusing to me um in terms of why some people get approved and some people don't um you know so I was just kind of curious about that so so you go in you do all of these tests they tell you that it's um that it's cancer like, yeah yeah and so what was what happened next uh, what was your course of treatment I know you said you kind of well, flowed through I, but what did they do I
1: had I had my my uh, lumpectomy on May 12th which is within five weeks of my diagnosis, um, only because my doctor went away on vacation for a week, or I would have been in a week sooner. Um, and
0: uh, <laughs> well, they have to I, vacation I too.
1: <laughs> I, well, my mother was worried. Why does she have to go away? Never mind. But my mother was a nurse, so, you know. Um, and uh, it, um, I went in and I had my lumpectomy. And then two weeks later had the the, the you know the, the edges done. And then I met with the oncologist. Um, and at first, he wasn't going to do chemo. And I went, no, I don't think so. I, I think you need to read those reports a little bit better. And when he did, it was a stage one. And they did I did six months of chemo, which they don't even use anymore. It's called CMF. Cytoxin, methotrexate, and 5-FU, and it was done um, by injection, butterfly injection, on a Friday, the, cyto- the methotrexate and the 5-FU, and then I started twi- four times a day the cytoxin pills. The next Friday went back for another injection and did another week of the cytoxin pills. We did that for six cycles.
0: Okay, and so, so your doctor was really kind of like, no, you don't need chemo, um, you know, we're not going to go was that just route. T- but-
1: well, my surgeon told me I would,
0: Oh, okay. put it that way, when I met with her. Okay.
1: You know, after that, so when she took the drains out and everything, I completely forget about that kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> it's
1: been so long ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so when you talked to the medical oncologist, I mean, you, you really just kind of pushed – A little bit. Right. And said, no, we're definitely doing 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 chemotherapy.
1: But but 22 years ago, that's what you did. There were no testing. There was no testing and typing and anything that they have now.
0: Okay. So it was, at that point, you were just kind of like, no, I'm going to advocate for myself. We don't have, you know, this information. My surgeon told me probably going to need to have this. I'm going to do it. Right. Okay. And so, you know, you talked about that they don't use this chemo anymore. So what were some of the side effects that you experienced through that um, chemo? I, my hair
1: thinned out, never lost all my hair, but it thinned out. And then I I was one, one of the few women who I gained fifty pounds. Everybody else loses weight, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes we're doc- the anomalies. My, 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 my oncologist was excited. You're gaining weight. You're gaining weight. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I can't do this. Um, but, uh, because I craved, you know, I craved grease. Mm. I could eat French fries. I could go to McDonald's and get a huge French fry, you know, French fries and just eat them all day. Yeah. And that's, that's what I did. I mean, I had no nausea was just the, and, and of course, you know, when the hair starts coming around out and, you, you you, put up a good fight and then you hit a point where I'm too upset for this.
0: Right. You know. Well, yeah. And, you know, I would imagine, um, I personally did not do chemo, um, so I'm not really quite sure. But I would imagine that, you know, either losing your hair or having your hair thin out would be stressful itself, Um, and so, you know, just the way that people respond to that is very different. Um, you know, and, and so I don't know, do you think that maybe, um, in addition to craving the grease, there was maybe some emotional kind of, um, emotion going on in terms of like eating as well? Possibly. And if
1: I ever had to do it again, I would get my head shaved. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't put up with the, it's coming out, it's coming out, oh, it's gone, just get rid of it.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, um, you know, they just, they kind of wait and see, um, and then it does get to that point where it's just, I'm not, I'm not doing this every day. Right. You know, with the, the clumps of hair coming out. So, um, so you do the chemo, um, did you have to do radiation at all?
1: I did 36 radiation treatments. Okay. I did, th- yeah, 30, was it 30 or 31, and then the last five were what they called the blast. They just zinged your, you know the area for five more sessions
0: okay so they kind of did a larger area at,
1: at, the, first. End. Oh, yeah, at no, the end oh no. at the end they did larger uh-huh uh, not larger but more, more radiation oh more, okay uh,
0: yeah oh okay yeah um so in terms of that what did you experience from the radiation what kind of side effects did you experience
1: not not really anything. I would go to radiation and it's seven o'clock in the morning, go to work at seven thirty. Oh, wow. I, I really didn't have anything major. <laughs> okay. And I was working at the school right next to the hospital. So it was easy.
0: Oh, well that's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's really convenient. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people that I've talked to, um, including myself, um, not that I talk to myself, I mean, sometimes, but, um, you know, it's just the fatigue, is Uh one of those things. And again, it's not really quite true. I did.
1: I I didn't sleep a lot, but that was mostly during, mostly during the chemo.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, just the whole process of it, um, really kind of drains you, Mm -hmm. um, emotionally, physically, um, you know, just all of that. So, um, so you went through that course of treatment and then Uh was there anything else that, that took place at any other point in time? Was there
1: yeah there were five, there was five years of Tamoxifen.
0: Okay, you did t- uh, five years. Mm-hmm. okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then um, so at that point in time, I would imagine you get through all of your treatments, you're doing the tamoxifen, and then you're being monitored, right? Uh-huh. How often Correct. were you going to be monitored um, during that I guess looking at the five well, years of Tamoxifen, how often were you going?
1: Um, I would go to see my oncologist it was every 3 months for the first year and then we went every 6 months no it was it was 3 months for the first 2 years and then the last 3 were every 6 months
0: okay and then in that time were you still seeing like your radiation oncologist for not
1: not after yeah. the radiation was over i would see him once a week during okay. the treatments
0: okay okay and then so you get through the 5 years of tamoxifen and then do they still follow you? Um, you know, what, what happens from there?
1: Well, I still would get a, um, a diagnostic mammogram. Okay. But in the last, since it's been over 20 years, so in the last two years I've only got a screening once a year. Okay. And I've so, never had any issues, yeah.
0: So a regular mammogram, mm-hmm. not going in for the... Um, yeah. Okay. Well, the, the,
1: diag- the diagnostic is just, there's the the radiologist is there to read it okay it's just the, it's the same test it's just the results are given to you immediately got it. here anyway
0: oh okay yeah honestly when they told me like oh we're gonna send you for a diagnostic mammogram I had no idea what that even meant I didn't uh-huh. know that there was if there was a difference um so it was my one and only it was one and done um so for me All I know is diagnostic mammogram. I didn't even Mm -hmm. know if mammogram was different. So it's the same machine. It's the exact same
1: thing. Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Got it. Okay. So do you currently um, see your oncologist still? Nope. No. I haven't seen him.
1: No. I think it was like, I think after the first like five, six years, that was it. I just continue to see my PCP.
0: Okay, so the first five six years into the diagnosis, or the five six years after tamoxifen,
1: uh, into the diagnosis.
0: Okay, okay,
1: yeah, okay. It wasn't that long. I mean, because I know now when people tell me, "Oh, I have to wait. I have to." So, well, no, I just I had mine done within six weeks of my diagnosis. My surgery was over.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. I know that for some it takes a little bit longer of a time. That's why when <laughs> you said, you know. You had canceled that trip to Vegas, and then uh-huh. um, you were immediately in for a mammogram. And I'm thinking, oh, oh my gosh! It took me, you
1: oh, know, it weeks. took me about
0: three, three or four days. <laughs> yeah, it took me weeks.
1: <laughs> but my, but like I said, I had not, I had no idea. It was just okay. Let's do this. But right. I have time now.
0: Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> excuse me. Um, sure. At that time, they were, the recommendation was for women I mean you said you were 44 so there there was a recommendation to be having mammograms at that age because I I thought at some Uh, point in time it was 50
1: um actually no I had my first mammogram at 39 oh my my gynecologist at the time thought it was a good thing to do because at the time I was on birth control pills so I was on some estrogen
0: okay but that wasn't typical
1: uh it was 40 Okay. Which it that still point. is, or okay. should be, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought I had seen at some point in time that they were really pushing for 50. They
1: were they were pushing in the uh, American Cancer Society and all the docs and on Komen and all the powers that be all over the place that, no, it's 40.
0: Yeah. I mean. And, and that's where it
1: stays, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the the sad reality is that there are many women under the age of 40 that are diagnosed as well. So correct. um, I
1: know a 32 year old.
0: mm -hmm. Yeah, I was 31 when I was Mm -hmm. diagnosed. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, every time I hear them saying, Oh, you know, the recommendation is 40. I'm like, but wait, (laughs) there are like 12,000 women each year under the age of 40 who are being diagnosed.
1: And and they tell, they say, Oh, there are too many false positives. I'm thinking, Hey, I'd rather have me have myself called back have a biopsy to tell me it's not malignant yes that's not a waste of my time (laughs) no
0: no absolutely a waste of my time is waiting you know for me it would have been nine years yeah yeah but if i was following the standards you know and i hadn't found my lump it would be waiting nine years to have my first mammogram Right. right so and who knows what that would have been um so Talk to me a little bit about the support system that you had around you during that time that you were going through your journey.
1: Well, the, I think the hardest thing I ever had to do was tell my parents. Because, yeah. um, of course, I lived the right lifestyle. I exercised. I did this. I ate right. I, you know, did everything. And um, it's it's funny. My mother, was, well, she, my mother was a nurse. And my father... And they came, they came to my house, my apartment right after I called them and my father had made me a meatloaf. <laughs> I love that it. was his, <laughs> that was his specialty. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. So he made me a meatloaf Aww. to comfort me. That was my comfort food. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, my sister and my brother and all my, I'm, you know, my, um, my relatives. We have a, a good Polish hunky background family, and then I worked in several schools, and the teachers were just wonderful. And in fact, the day I was getting ready to receive my call, the one teacher said to her, said to me, "Stay, stay here. We want to be here with you when you get your call." I said sorry, I got to go. <laughs> but um, and That's I very had kind really, gesture. Mm-hmm, but I had really good support. Everywhere, you know, good. Um, and I worked out with my job. I was able to work out where I had chemo on, on Friday afternoons that I had chemo. I was able to do every like every two weeks, take one sick day. Okay, so we worked it out that way,
0: right? Right,
1: and I, I really didn't need anything. Yeah,
0: how long were you, um, with the lumpectomy? How were you off work for a period of time? Two weeks, two weeks. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the and the school where you were working was supportive.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Good. Yeah. And yeah. and that's the thing too is just having that support system around you, whatever it might be. I mean, the meatloaf, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> My meatloaf story. Yeah. No, I yeah. love that. I love that yeah. because you know so many people get kind of hung up in terms of like, oh, what do I say? What do I do? Um, you know, and and meatloaf is great. Like if you have nothing to say, like. <laughs> and you know, I meatloaf,
1: did have one one young teacher say. Oh, Miss Lynn, I really don't know what to say. I said, "Er, that's okay. okay. Just don't say anything. You don't have to say anything.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty sure that when I called my dad, I think my dad was like, wow, that sucks. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, dad. (laughs) Like he didn't (laughs) really know what what to say either. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because it used to be a death sentence. Not anymore. Right. You know, even our metastatic breast cancers gals are, are surviving years.
0: Yes. Yes. I think that, and that's great. Like just really making sure that we're pushing so Mm -hmm. that everybody stands a chance at survival. Right. For sure. Absolutely. So what would you say? um, Well, one of the support systems we didn't talk about real quick um, is that, so you've continued to have a support system around you. um, Absolutely. You know, and so one of them is obviously Um, pink steel and dragon boating um correct I'm
1: heading there tonight (laughs)
0: yeah yeah so how long have you been involved in dragon boating and what has that brought to your life 14
1: years 14 years 14 years I was one I was the second wave of the first group that started back in 2003 four five somewhere around I I lose track after 10 (laughs) years but we always called ourselves we were we we were each other's floating support system. Yeah. I mean, and at first somebody thought, oh, that's stupid. But then when they realized it, yeah, it was a floating support system because you're there ups and downs, you know, a storm here, the sun here, the wind here. Yeah, it it um I really relied on a lot of people. I mean, and they were very supportive. I mean, if not physically but you know people were there
0: yeah
1: and other women on my team had had second sometimes third recurrences during their time in fact we had one gal who waited to have her surgery till after dragon boat season was over
0: i mean i don't blame <laughs> her <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah so oh uh, yes yeah. Yeah, probably i never was in any competitive or group sports ever ever wow. in my life so, um,
0: and for is, 14 years, we have been.
1: I <laughs> I got promoted to the board. I'm, I'm important now.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so I'm sure you have lots of medals hanging around. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah we sure do.
0: Well, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, what would you say in terms of going through your journey? What was the hardest lesson or the most important lesson <sighs> that you learned through this? Well, the hardest thing was for me to.
1: Let people help me.
0: Mm, that's a good one.
1: I <laughs> my mother's fault. I'm very independent. <laughs> I, I was I was taught to be a very independent woman. so was my sister. You know, you did for yourself and you worked and. You, but yeah, I had to tell myself the way there are times that you have to let people help you, like stay have your friends stay with you overnight so that everything's okay you know, take you out to lunch or take you to a doctor's appointment, you know, when you weren't able to drive. So, I mean, yeah, that was probably the hardest thing. And I've always said that that was the hardest thing ever.
0: Yeah. I think it's the Polish. (laughs) I think so. I I think that's where that comes from. Cause I have a little bit of that too. And, and I Uh have a little bit of Polish. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. No, that, that's, um, that is a really valuable tip. Um, Right to, to just let people help you. Um, right. so yeah, well, I'm going to go ahead. We're going to wrap it up here, but I want to okay. thank you again so much for being willing to share your story. And, um, you know, I celebrate you one for being a 22 year survivor. That's fantastic. And I know that that's going to, you know, certainly inspire other people that might just be coming into the breast cancer world. Um, And of course, you know, 14 years of dragon boating. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm.
1: that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank you very much too. You're you're still my sister in dragon boating. Yeah. And, um, and just uh, keep those paddles up. And anybody who wants to look up a local dragon boat, breast cancer survivor team in their area.
0: That's awesome. Thanks so much, Lynn. I appreciate it. You're
1: very welcome. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at com.
1: You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.